Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Salacious. Nothing personal. Word of the day is salacious. Derek Jeter met the media along with Don Mattingly and Michael Hill, president of the Marlins. Michael Hill, the president of baseball operations, Don Mattingly, the manager. The Marlins are getting back to action in Baltimore today with 18 new players. Mattingly said he hasn't met some of them. They're making their way onto the field. There'll be introductions, not for the fans, but for the manager. He'll fill out a lineup. Maybe the players will wear name tags like Johnny Rose and Schitt's Creek. But when Derek Jeter met the media in his, by Zoom, he used the word salacious. The players have not engaged in any salacious activity. So I wanted to define salacious for you to make sure that we're all on the same page. And then we'll get to exactly what Derek said and why he said it. Salacious is arousing or appealing to sexual desire or imagination. Having or conveying undue or inappropriate interest in sexual matters. Salacious. I think Jeter may not have known what it meant because when he said that the players did not engage in salacious activity as though that were explaining the fact that they didn't do anything wrong, so they shouldn't be blamed for the outbreak, is going to a strip club, which there's no indication that they did, by the way, but is that a salacious activity? Yes. Is going to get milk which Jeter said some players did. Is that a salacious activity? Nope. Going to get coffee, salacious? Nope. Going to have dinner at a teammate's house. I don't know what teammates live in Atlanta, but maybe there's a teammate who has a house in Atlanta. I think he may have misspoken there. Is that salacious? No. I believe that what Derek was trying to do was to use a big word like gregarious or other some such SAT word in order to show people that he has the app of the vocabulary word of the day. But what he did say is that guys were around each other. They got relaxed and let their guard down. They were getting together in groups. They weren't wearing masks as much as they should have. They weren't social distancing. Our guys were not running all around town in Atlanta. Remember, let's go back. Time out. We're going back. So the Marlins go to Atlanta for two exhibition games. Much like the other teams, there were teams having exhibition games, except for the Rays and the Mariners, who did not play one exhibition game before the season started. Another little tangent, Coca. The Rays have gotten off to a slow start, which we talked about would happen, and they have. So the Marlins, during spring training had no positive tests, 
Everything was going great. They were at Marlins Park having workouts, scrimmages, playing against each other, playing with each other, playing with themselves. And <laughs> sorry, no, they were, they were playing baseball. <laughs> Marlins Park. They get on a plane, they go to Atlanta, and all of a sudden, word comes out that they've got a few positive tests. And then MLB, we've talked about this, and we've made it clear what MLB was doing. They were trying to show that the Marlins were responsible, that the Marlins were at fault, that this was not an issue that would affect the other 29 teams because everyone else is following the protocols. Of course, that story went to hell in a handbasket when the Cardinals had their outbreak. But Jeter had had enough, and he was such a player during this press conference. He started it off by doing what is one of the – it's not on page one. It's page four of the what not to do when you're having a scrum, which is when you're standing up and have a bunch of cameras in your face, or a press conference when you're sitting at a table. Now there's a third category, which is a Zoom call with members of the media on the Zoom. Page four of what not to do is tell the media what they should be covering. Tell them how to say what they should be saying. That's not going to fly. Derek Jeter suffers from what many other players suffer who have ascended his position. Not many, but there are some, but they all suffer from the same thing. Thinking that the way they acted as a player is how they can act as an owner. The accountability they had as a player and the ability to walk away from an interview or decide not to talk to the media or all of the things they can do by never answering questions, that they can do that as an owner or a public-facing person in, in sports, you cannot do that. He started off by saying, How come no one's going to ask me? He said, I assume your first question will be, how do our players feel? Are they sick? Are they symptomatic? How are they doing mentally and physically? I'm sure that's going to be your first question. Eh, eh. Don't tell us what our first question is going to be. We're going to tell you what our first question is going to be. Then he said that our guys were not running all around town in Atlanta. We did have a couple of individuals leave the hotel. We had guys leave to get coffee, to get clothes. A guy left to have dinner at a teammate's house. There were no other guests on site. There was no salacious activity. There was no hanging out at bars, no clubs, no running around Atlanta. Really? How do you know? Did you check all the security cams? Did you knock on every door? The number of times that I knocked on a player's door and had the door open and that player was not alone was numerous. The number of times that I walked out in the morning to go running and players were walking in as I was walking out, numerous. This is not a criticism. This is a practical analysis of what happens when you're on the road with rock stars. To get close? I don't even know what to say. Now, so I got to tell you a funny story about an old pitcher. This just came to me. Sorry, Coca. We had a pitcher, and I don't remember the year. His name was Vladimir Nunez. And We used him as a closer sometimes. He was a big guy, had a big arm, and he never really amounted to anything, but he had a lot of potential. 
but he never made a ton of money. And I don't remember the year. But Vladimir Nunez was famous because the way you boarded it pre-COVID, the way you board the plane, there's two buses who go to the airport. And the first bus has executives, coaches, trainers, and any players who have their wives with them. Those, all that group goes on bus one. Bus two is all of the other players who are solo. When you get to the plane, bus one disembarks first. You pull right up to the plane. Bus one gets out. The way the seats work in a bus, the first row behind the driver is the traveling secretary. The first row on the passenger side is the manager. The second row behind the manager was me. The second row behind the traveling secretary was the president of baseball operations. Then you'd have coaches behind me and the president of baseball operations. Then you would have training staff. Then you'd have broadcasters. Then you would have the players with their wives. When you get to the plane, first it's, it's, we're first out. We get on the plane and then there are signed seats in the plane and I would have a row and the manager would always sit in the bulkhead, uh, first row on the opposite side of the bathroom. The traveling secretary would sit first row, much like the bus, and we'd have assigned seats. We'd be told where we're sitting. The broadcasters would be in a certain place. The players would have seats where they were assigned because that was done by uh, veteran leadership, not by money, but by amount of service time would get to choose. You'd have the card players in a certain area, the sleepers, et cetera. Anyway, so... Every time in 2002 or 2003, when Nunez was on the Marlins, Coca just reminded me what years. And, uh, you know, Nunez was not on our World Series team that I recall. I don't recall him pitching in the World Series at all because our bullpen was Chad Fox and Braden Looper and Ugeth Urbina. And then we had Willis in the bullpen. But see if I don't know if, if uh, Nunez got any, any uh, playoff appearances. I think he was off the team by then. But in any case... When he would get on the plane, he would always have, it was the funniest thing, packages, tons of packages in his hands. He'd have a man purse that was like a name brand Louis Vuitton, and he would have packages of clothes. And he would go shopping all the time in almost every city. And I remember talking to Larry Byenfest, the president of baseball ops at the time, and saying, this guy's going to go bankrupt. He hasn't cashed in. He hasn't made it to free agency. He's not making a ton in arbitration if he even got there. The most, and, I'm, and obviously, this is all relative, but let's say at his most, he made a couple million dollars. In his career, let's say he made three or four million dollars. Now, I agree in the real world, that is a lifetime's generational amount of money. But when you're spending like a drunken sailor, it goes away. So I was thinking about the fact about buying clothes. Now, we do buy clothes on the road. We do, players do, it does happen. In the middle of a pandemic, that seems rather funny to me that the players were buying clothes, especially because they were on such a road trip. As a matter of fact, the current, here's another clothes story. I was in San Francisco. Sorry, Coke, I don't know why I'm thinking about this. Totally off the rundown. Do you want me to stop? Anyway, I'm not. I don't even know if you're listening. In 2003, we played the San Francisco Giants in the first series. And they, we stayed in a hotel back then called, I think it was the Park 55. 
And you could walk to different places in San Francisco. And Larry Beinfest, Mike Hill, and I went shopping because we wanted to buy shoes because we hadn't been in the playoffs. We were so happy we were in the playoffs. And we said, you know what? We're going to buy shoes. So we walk into a shoe store and we see an incredibly beautiful woman. And she's there with another beautiful woman. And they are shopping for clothes. And, and shoes. It was a shoe store. They were shopping for shoes, I guess. And there was a men's department and a women's department. I want to say it was Cole Han, but I could be wrong, but that's my memory. So we walk in and we find out, we start talking and just being friendly and they're being friendly and they don't know that we're with the Marlins and we don't know who they are. And we're just talking because we're looking at shoes. Hey, do you like these shoes? Do these look good? And Hey, do you like these shoes? Do they look good? And so it ends and we leave. We go to Pac-Bell. It was called AT&T or Pac-Bell at the time. I can't remember. We go to the game. It was two games we had in San Francisco in that five-game series where we lost game one, one game two. So this would be between game one and game two or maybe the off day before game one, either way, because after game two, you get on the plane and fly right back to Florida. We get back and it turns out that the two women... One of them was Todd Hollinsworth's sister, who is, was our player at the time. And one was the wife of a player on the Giants, who was Todd Hollinsworth's brother-in-law, who then ended up playing for the Marlins years later. He was a pitcher, and I absolutely cannot remember his name. I want to say his first name was Matt but that may be wrong. Coca, any way to find out who Todd Hollinsworth's brother-in-law is, former MLB player. So the point of that is to say, A, you never know who you're going to run into, so you better always behave, which we were. We then saw these women again. Matt Hurgis. Yes. Thank you, Coca. I got Matt right. It was Matt Hurgis. God, I forgot about Matt Hurgis. What a great guy. In any case, so... We saw them, these same girls, women, we had seen at the Cole Han, were waiting outside the clubhouse after the game against the Giants. And they recognized us, we recognized them, and it was bizarre. But we had a great laugh, and Holly and I laughed about that for years. I, by the way, that story has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that were players possibly buying clothes in Atlanta? Maybe. Does that mean that that should be mentioned when you're talking to the media? That's what they were doing? Give me a break. <laughs> salacious is the nothing personal word of the day. And by the way, there was nothing salacious about the Cole Haan story. Okay, I got to take a breath, Matt. Hold on. Okay. Andrew McCutcheon is pissed off today. Andrew McCutcheon is the player who signed that deal with the Phillies, that free agent deal that was a complete overpay, former MVP, unbelievable player, great guy on the Pirates, went to the Yankees, uh, just not the player he was. He's still being counted on by the Phillies, but that is a, a bad plan if you're the Phillies. Andrew McCutcheon did something yesterday that, that needs to be discussed. 
he decided that he was going to give an interview with Jason Stark, who is a very accomplished Hall of Famer, a Hall of Famer. And in that interview, he basically, Andrew McCutcheon, called out the Marlins and the Marlins players in a way that you don't often see. He admitted and acknowledged Remember, let me give you the backstory in case you're not with me, which, by the way, given how the show's going so far, you may be not even close to me, next to me in the same vicinity as that I am in. The Phillies were playing the Marlins. They played that Sunday. The Phillies were then shut down. They did not play in a week. They then went to play the Yankees. They lost last night to Derek Cole. And wouldn't you know it, We called that as the nothing personal pick of the day. It was the easiest pick of the season. So McCutcheon and the Phillies got tested every day. They had a couple false positives, then the rest negatives, but they were quarantined. Then they worked out once at Citizens Bank Park. Then the workout was canceled because there was a false positive. Then they took a bus to New York. Then they played again. Again, then they got it shoved up their tuchus, and they're now one and three and struggling. So McCutcheon says that he's upset at everything that's transpired. Whoever decided to step out or not necessarily follow the health and safety protocol, that upset me. What made me angry that we as the Phillies, we were the ones that ended up having to pay for that. We followed all the health and safety protocols. We knew that was important. We understood that's what we needed to do to be able to play this game. We did it right and we paid for it. And so for me, that was upsetting. I'm sitting here at home watching 28 other teams play, by the way, not true. Then he said to 27 to 26 other teams playing. We're sitting at home, all negative, by the way. And we have to watch this happen while we did nothing wrong. So for me, that was very upsetting. Andrew, what's upsetting to me is that you don't realize that maybe the Marlins didn't do anything wrong. Maybe what they did wrong is exactly what some on your team are doing. Let me ask you a question, Andrew McCutcheon. Find me the video right now. Right now. Show me the video with Joe Girardi wearing a mask above his nose at all times in the dugout. I want to see it. First-year manager, former Yankee manager, World Series winning manager, who got his chance to manage from Jeffrey Laurie of the Marlins, one manager of the year in 2006. Show me. Show me the fact that you did perfect social distancing. Show me in the clubhouse that you were in masks masks, and you did everything right. Show me on the road that not one of your players ever went out to get milk, buy coffee, buy clothes, or engage in other salacious activities. Show me. Where's the comment about the Cardinals and their outbreak? Is this about the Cardinals too? If I'm an owner of a team right now, I'm loving it. I'm McLovin' it. Give me some lovin'. Wait, is that the McDonald's? What's the McDonald's slogan? Give me lovin'. I think it's I'm loving it. Why am I loving it as an owner? Because guess what? Once there are problems between players, they take advantage of it. When you've got a collective bargain agreement to negotiate going forward, You are looking for any cracks in the system, and they certainly did find it. What Tony Clark needs to do is he needs to find a way to get these players to...
Zip it. There must be a united front if you've got one chance at making one ounce of progress, whether there's a strike or lockout at the end of 21, whether this season comes to completion, whether there's a World Series crowned, whether they get through October, October, none of it. The players have got to look out for one another because nobody else is. I'm disappointed with Andrew McCutcheon. God, I don't want to be. I don't want to be. I want to pile on the Marlins, but I'm not. Okay, we have our Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. We have our COVID update. The Marlins have been very secretive. We have no idea who has COVID other than Urena, Alfaro, Ramirez, and Cooper. The other 14 players are unknown, but guess what? We're going to know tonight, baby, because the Marlins will have 14 new players on the injured list. They won't tell us who. That's their right. That's the player's right. That was negotiated. But we'll find out because we're going to get a roster. The Cardinals players gave permission to release the names of the players. Yadier Molina, Paul DeYoung, Junior Fernandez, Rangel Ravello, Edmundo Sosa, and Cody Whitley have tested positive. Obviously, the headline there is Molina and DeYoung, two major parts of their starting team. I'm obviously hopeful they have no symptoms. I'm hopeful if they do, they're mild and that they get better. Yadier Molina decided that he was going to give a statement. And his statement is extremely telling. I am saddened to have tested positive for COVID-19, even after adhering to safety guidelines that were put in place. I will do everything within my power to return as soon as possible for Cardinals fans, the city of St. Louis, and my teammates. As I recover, I request that you please respect my privacy and family in my absence. Telling. He adhered to the guidelines and still tested positive. Paul DeYoung did a statement. I'm disappointed I'm positive even though I followed team protocols. This is the lesson that all sports NFL need to pay attention to when you're not in a bubble. You can do everything right. We saw it with Freddie Freeman, but it wasn't enough. He had 104.3, Freddie Freeman did, praying for his life, worried he was going to die. Not enough. Following the protocols, not enough. We're learning that the bubble is enough, even though it requires strictly staying within the bubble and quarantining for up to 10 days if you leave the bubble for any reason to pick up food for personal reasons, or in the case of Lou Williams, for some salacious activity. When Molina says, that's no mistake, the union looks at that statement, the team looks at that statement, by saying that he adhered to safety guidelines, that gives cover to the Cardinals, which they need given their outbreak and the way MLB is throwing teams under the covers, under the bus. The players need to know that the protocols are safe, that they will be protective, but that there is risk. Let's hope that no more Cardinals test positive. 
that it doesn't somehow go to one player after another. I'm reminded to tell you that Molina is another catcher who has it. Why the protocols do not call for catchers to wear masks under their masks is beyond me. The umpires should have to wear them, and every player who goes to the plate should have to wear them. If you don't want to wear your mask when you're playing your position, don't. But when you're a runner on base or at the plate or catching, you should be wearing a mask. Period. When we come back, we are going to find some direction. I promise you that. And later on, we're going to have an update. Did you think we'd go another day without being able to mention Wazoo? This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back. I got a review. All right. So, you know, this is like music week. It's not like music week. I'm sorry, Mr. Lynn. This is music week. We reviewed that thing you do yesterday. Loved it. Singing it. Digging it. And loving it. I then watched a Martin Scorsese film that I'd never seen. Three and a half hours. Is it worth it? You bet your bips it is. It's called No Direction Home, Bob Dylan. This is a Martin Scorsese directed documentary. Three and a half hours went like that. It covers and teaches you about Bob Dylan. Now, if you don't know who Bob Dylan is, I'm begging you to press pause. Google it 
and listen to some songs and then come back. If you think that Bob Dylan is a member of the Traveling Wilburys and that's how you know him, I don't know what to say to that. Bob Dylan grew up in Hibbing, Minnesota as Robert Zimmerman, became a born-again Christian later in life, changed his name to Bob Dylan, extra credit if you know why he chose the name Bob. (laughs) It's short for robbers. What about Dylan? Where did that come from? He named it after the poet Dylan Thomas. He took Dylan's first name and made it his last name. That's Bob Dylan. No direction home. I can't even imitate his voice. I have the worst voice ever, but he's got this voice. Got this voice. Got this voice like this. He has the harmonica around his neck. Like a rolling stone. Can't do it. 1961 to 1966. He went to New York from Minnesota, tracked down Woody Guthrie, got to know Joan Baez, another legend. Martin Scorsese was brilliant directing this. Bob Dylan was interviewed. It's a 2005 documentary. Bob Dylan is still alive today, and there may be another documentary about him that we may be reviewing tomorrow. Wait to see. I won't even make that a wait to see because I'll get it right. If you're not a fan of folk music or rock and roll and you don't want to be a fan of Bob Dylan, I'm with you. But if you're not a fan of Martin Scorsese, then I'm not with you. Respect him as a director and do the honor of watching this documentary. Pretend it's a three and a half hour limited series. You binge more than that right now. You know it. You'll sit down and watch four one hour episodes like that. Watch it in three and a half one hour increments. Please, no direction home, which are words from the song like a Rolling Stone. Bob Dylan. All right, I want to get to the follow-up now. Remember Nick Rolovich? If you didn't get to yesterday's show yet, Nick Rolovich is the coach of the Washington State University football team. Now, that's just a coincidence. The Washington football team is the new name of the Washington football team in the NFL, The reason I call them the Washington State University football team is not because that's their name. It's because I don't know their nickname. So it's the Washington State University Cougars. That name I know. Thank you very much, Coca. So Nick Rolovich got on the phone, got his conversation taped with one of his players who said, if you want to opt out because of COVID, great, but you better not be partaking in this We Are United document, which is making demands on the PAC-19. And I said, there's going to be an issue, but that Washington State was going to stand behind their coach, even though I thought they should fire him. Well, guess what? We got an update. The Cougars head coach, don't forget he's a first year update. He came up with a statement. This is so perfect. This was meant for nothing personal. The player's name was Cassidy Woods. I spoke with Cassidy Woods in a private phone conversation last Saturday afternoon. Of course, it wasn't private. That was my parentheses. This was before the hashtag We Are United group had released its letter of concerns. 
Cassidy informed me he was opting out this season for health and safety concerns. I wanted to clarify with Cassidy that his decision was based on health and safety and reaffirm our policy related to COVID and the assurance of his scholarship. Without knowing the concerns of the group, I regret that my words cautioning Cassidy have become construed as opposition. I'm proud of our players and all the Pac-12 student athletes for using their platform, especially for matters they are passionate about. WSU football student athletes who have expressed support for the We Are United group will continue to be welcome to all team-related activities unless they choose to opt out for health and safety reasons. Ready, folks? Marinate. So what happened is Washington State University, they had their athletic director called to the principal's office. He went right to the president's office. And they figured out a plan. Plan one, we fire Rolovich. Plan two, we call him in. We put him on notice. We put a note in the HR file so that when we do have to fire him for any other transgression or any other possible salacious activity, we've got the beginning of termination for cause. Three, we are getting our crisis PR department together. We are writing a statement for him to release, and we are making him release it too sweet. As in, immediately. In that statement, we are going to ignore what the audio tape said. We are going to say that what was in that audio was before the coach had any idea what We Are United is. We are going to make sure we clarify that any player who opts out for COVID is welcome to opt out without any penalty. And any player who opts out for We Are United reasons also has no problem. We are going to make sure that everybody understands And this is where it gets fun. This is the AD and the president talking. We are going to make sure that everybody knows that as a university, we are going to be supportive of these players. And then they look at each other and they say the following. There's no way we can give into these demands. And we're not going to. We're going to let these players play if they want But if they choose to opt out because of their demands, that's that. We'll pay their scholarships. We'll give them credit for their beliefs. And we'll say, have a good offseason. We are not going to give in as a conference to the demands because we can't. And by the way, the president said to the AD, I'm not firing you. I'm certainly not taking the fall for this. So we are about to do Operation Hang Nick Rolovich out to dry. We'll give him the statement. We'll let him release it. We'll monitor social media. We'll monitor the response to the statement. And if we see that he can't get through it, we will go to page two of the crisis handbook and say, after much thought and reasoned contemplation, We could not see a path forward for Nick Rolovich 
to represent this university and be the coach of our student athletes. We informed him today that we were relieving him of his duties. And we want to reiterate that we are united with our players. We want and expect and encourage and educate them to speak out and use their, plat- use their platform. And we will do everything we can to be there for our players and have an environment of inclusion. <laughs> That's what's going on in Washington State right now. There's going to be more on this, I guarantee it. The statement's not going to be enough. That statement is weak, to say the least. It is by the book, to say the most. That's your Nick Rolovich update. All right, what do you think The Rock does every day? I was thinking about this. So The Rock used to live, here's a funny little story about The Rock that uh, I've never told Coca, so I'm going to tell it. When we came to Florida in 2002, uh, a bunch of the baseball executives and, and front office executives came and moved from Montreal to Florida. And we had no idea of the neighborhoods in Florida. We had always just stayed at the team hotel when we played the Marlins was the uh, Marriott down on uh, the 17th Street Causeway. Right before you go over the bridge, there was a Marriott there with a great ping pong table, actually, where we'd play ping pong till all hours of the night. But then we'd get on the uh, 95 South to what I now know is 595 West to what I now know is the Turnpike South get off on 199th Street, which is now Damarino Boulevard, play the Marlins, get back on the bus, go back to the hotel, walk around Fort Lauderdale, check out the elbow room, pretend we were still on spring break, pretend that that wasn't creepy. So we didn't really know any neighborhoods. And when we started, we lived in a place down on Sunny Isles in Florida in a building, in a rental building like corporate housing. And then we got real estate people to help us find houses. Larry Beinfest bought a house in a neighborhood in Davie and came to find out that his next door neighbor was The Rock. And this was before The Rock was very, very rich and the number one movie star. This was well before that. You're talking about 2002, 2003. I guess if you would go look at The Rock's movie career, I'm assuming it started after that. He certainly was not the highest paid actor in Hollywood the way he is now. He certainly didn't have the type of social media presence he does now. Um, Well, wait a minute. There was no social media back then. So there was an entire uh, sort of moment when he lived as a, he was a wrestler and and, uh, his house was modest. This was with his first wife. He's now divorced and married again with, with another child and with his existing kids. And they'd be playing outside in front of the house with Larry and his kids were there and we'd be there. And, and uh, it was just cool. But no idea that The Rock would turn into what he turned into. And yesterday was yet another step in the evolution of his superstardom and incredible wealth power, and hubris. Do you remember that football league that we've talked about called the XFL that was owned by Vince McMahon? And one of my way to sees is there's a, a lawsuit between Vince McMahon and the commissioner of the XFL, who's Andrew Luck's father named Oliver Luck. 
And then the XFL declared bankruptcy. And what happens when you declare bankruptcy is this. Actually, I don't know that I've told this story. I think I have how Peter Angelo sold the Orioles out of bankruptcy. Jeffrey Loria was the underbidder, meaning he bid $1 million fewer dollars than Peter Angelos, which is how Peter Angelos was now the owner of the Baltimore Orioles. You're welcome, Baltimore. $173 million back in 1990-something. Three, maybe, for the Orioles. So the Rock, they were bankrupt and they got sold in a bankruptcy court. What happens when you declare bankruptcy is that it is incumbent upon the courts to sell whatever assets are still owned by the entity declaring bankruptcy and take that money and give it to the creditors. Like when a rich guy goes bankrupt, they take his yacht and his helicopter. They repossess his jet, jewelry. Remember when the Ponzi schemers get arrested and they're trying to put all the jewelry on them because maybe if you're wearing the jewelry, they don't take it, but it's not true. They do. Not that I know this personally. I've just seen it in movies. Read about it in trade magazines. So the XFL had assets. Let's think about what the assets they had. Huh. Player contracts. No, no. Those players become creditors of the XFL. Banks who had lent money to the XFL. Is that an asset? No, that's a liability because they owe money to the networks because the games weren't shown. Now, if they have accounts receivable from the networks for games that were shown on TV, that would be an asset. What about any property they own? Any lease interests they have in stadiums? Merchandise that's in inventory. Trademarks, the XFL. Patents, copyrights, team names, deals with cities. Not a lot of tangible stuff, but yet you go to court and there's got to be someone who buys it. And if not, then the creditors who would be coaches, players, networks, anybody who had given T-shirts or other merchandise on consignment and not gotten paid for it, that had maybe been sold by the XFL, any of their intellectual property like their website. In any case, there was a draft. There was a, it really is like a draft where you sell, it's like an auction. We got word yesterday, this is good. The Rock bought the XFL out of bankruptcy. Ladies and gentlemen, The Rock, who people think may run for president, The Rock, who's the highest paid movie star in the land, The Rock is now the owner of the XFL for $15 million. So when I read that, I thought, wow, I can't believe The Rock wants to take on the NFL. It's not going to work. Why would he invest his money in the XFL? And then I read a little more carefully. The Rock and a venture capital group bought the XFL out of bankruptcy. How much money did The Rock put in? We haven't heard. I promise you his financial investment was very low because what he's adding to the group who bought 
The XFL is his name, his fame, and his platform. And the hope that the XFL can rise again like the Phoenix and somehow start in 2021, which the Rocks said they're going to. Will they? That's not the way to see, but it could be. The way to see is that the Rock's financial investment, when it comes out, and it will, is under $5 million. And I'm going to say it's way under. Because he found a way to cut a deal to get a piece of the action because he's so rich and famous now from the days of his first house in Davie that he can sell his name. And so he did. The Rock has bought the XFL out of bankruptcy, quote unquote. Nothing personal. Pick of the day. I'm hot. I'm hot. Coco, we're hot. My pick today is salacious. We had the Yankees winning yesterday. I told you it was the easiest pick of the year. It was not even a doubt. The Phillies were rusty. The Yankees had coal. It was simple. What am I missing today? Something's going on. The Marlins are favored to beat the Orioles in Baltimore. What? You can get $1.20 if you take the Orioles. They're the underdog. The Orioles will win this game. The Marlins haven't played a game in 10 days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Eight days. The other two days are rest, I guess. The Marlins haven't played a game in eight days. Trust me, they will be rusty. Forget the fact that Don Mattingly doesn't know their names. He'll write out a lineup. Could Pablo Lopez perform? Maybe. Doubtful. The Orioles have started off well. Could they have dreams of October baseball under Brandon Hyde? Could they possibly? Forget about it. Although, frankly, the Rays are struggling. The Jays are mediocre. The Red Sox stink. And the Yankees are obviously the number one, number one. But remember, the top two teams in every division make the playoffs. Believe me, take the twenty, take the Orioles. Okay, wait to see. Remember, with wait to see, we will catch up. We will tell you when we get it right, when we get it wrong. I want to go through a list of wait to sees. On February 5th, February 5th, I think that was 10 years ago, I said Pete Rose will not be reinstated by MLB after his latest comments. And he made some crazy comments and he was not. That's a yes. On April 1st, I said the NFL training camps will be delayed. I was wrong. That's a no. On June 4th, way back then, I said Allegiant Stadium in Vegas will open for football, but it will be without fans. The owner, Mark Davis, yesterday said Allegiant Stadium will open for football, but without fans. That's a yes. On July 7th, I said MLB game will be canceled by COVID. On July 7th, the season started the 23rd. That's a yes. Games have been canceled. You're going to say only postponed. I'm going to tell you teams will not get to 60 games. Canceled. July 28th, I said another team will have a COVID outbreak of four more players, not just the Marlins. I didn't realize it would be the Cardinals so soon, but it was. That's a yes. On July 29th, I said the Marlins will not play on Tuesday, which is today. They are. That's a no. On July 29th, I further said the Marlins will end up getting paid for 60 games, regardless of how many games they actually play. Do you remember 
that MLB came out specifically and stated that the teams impacted by the Marlins would get paid their full salaries, but the Marlins, they did not say. And I said, nope, I guarantee you the Marlins will get paid their full 60 because that's a grievance that the Players Association would file and win. It was announced that the Marlins will get their full 60. That was the easiest way to see ever. Why? MLB knows the juice is not worth the squeeze to fight on that. It's business. It's nothing personal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.